This is Asha Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. School is back in session, whether it's virtual learning or in-person service delivery or some mix of the two. The new academic year has begun. Join us for our next episode to hear a conversation with educational audiologists. Today's episode will feature school-based SLPs. Listen in as we ask what's the academic year been like so far and what's different now from the spring. I'm J.D. Gray. This is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Get unlimited access to ASHA's catalog of CE courses for one annual fee. Learn more at asha.org slash learning pass. It's October and school is back in session, but just what that means for students varies from state to state, from district to district, and even from student to student. After a spring defined by surprise and rapid adaptation, school-based SLPs spent a summer that was perhaps most defined by uncertainty. You can read more about that in the August-September issue of the ASHA Leader. For this episode of ASHA Voices, I asked school-based SLPs, what has the start of the new academic year been like for you? And how is it different from last spring? We'll hear from five SLPs today. In the first half, we discuss what speech-language services look like, parental engagement, what SLPs are doing to stay safe, and more. Then in the second half, an SLP shares information on the education that was lost during the COVID-19 disruption and what it might mean for SLPs. We can't cover everything on this episode, so please leave us a voicemail with your story. You can reach us at 301-296-5804. We may use the message in an upcoming episode. Also, before we get started, I want to mention that ASHA has extensive resources available at ASHA.org, including state-by-state tracking of school reopenings and resources for in-person services and telepractice. Find them by going to ASHA.org and navigating to the school resources through the COVID-19 updates banner. The first voice we'll hear is Teresa Laney. Teresa is a speech-language consultant for the Mississippi Department of Education, providing support services to SLPs. Well, at the end of last year, when schools got shut down unexpectedly, SLPs were clamoring to switch to teletherapy or just to figure out how to provide services in general to the kids that they served. And there was a lot of question about compliance and providing teletherapy and just how do we get this done. As this school year has started, I think SLPs are more I want to say more confident in what they're doing. They definitely have some experience now, and they've kind of figured out how to do what they need to do in the best possible way for their students. There are still lots of questions, of course, because we're changing um, in our state. The local school district decides how they want to provide services, whether that is a brick-and-mortar model, hybrid, or completely virtual. And so it varies across the state how students are getting their services, But I think we've had time over the summer to plan that out. And so there was more of an expectation of, okay, here's what I'm going to do moving forward instead of having to figure it out as we went along. There was a lot of uncertainty that carried over into the summer as school districts prepared for the new academic year. Now that school's been back, what are you hearing from SLPs in Mississippi? 
there's still a lot of uncertainty because we really don't know if in two weeks we're going to shut down again. There's still uh, things are going well right now, and the the number of cases is not spiked like I think they thought it might. But everybody still has that air of uncertainty that it could change on a moment's notice. You know, one of our districts they're saying is prepare to pivot. <laughs> so. On a moment's notice, you might have to turn around and do something completely different. But I think the summer gave districts time to plan for that, and it gave SLPs time to get a backup plan in case they have to change. Don Mirth Johnson knows this. She's already had to make that sudden switch from in-person to virtual delivery this year. Though just for one day, Don is an SLP in a rural school district in southwest Wisconsin and serves the entire district, age 3 to 21. I think every day is still kind of up in the air. We aren't sure if we will close on that day or close the next day. So we're always trying to prepare for eventually going virtual. So as teachers and special staff in the district, it's kind of been a little overwhelming trying to figure out, okay, which which way are we going today? <laughs> but now that we're in the process, I think it's running a lot more smoothly for both the students and the teachers. Don has a full-size classroom, something she calls a luxury, but that space looks a little different this year than it has in years past. I have plexiglass set up on a small horseshoe table and then another larger table for my older students. So when they come in, the the room's divided in half. A couple days a week, I share the room with a part-time therapist. So we've had to kind of coordinate our times when I may go into a classroom and she'll have students in here or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So if I grabbed the handle, the doorknob to the classroom, and I pushed it open, what would it look like? And how is it different from how it looked last year and before the pandemic? So many of my materials have been put away. Anything from home, any chairs or stuffed animals, things like that, are all put away right now. It's a little more bare than usual, <laughs> but... For the most part, it's set up pretty similar. We do have a divider up in between the two tables this year. And I also have containers for each of my students with their names on them so that I can put individual materials for them to use when they come into the classroom. As for the technology side, Don says there's been a big learning curve. She says getting some families to adapt to the technology has been difficult. We have a pretty high population of bilingual students in our district. And so there's that extra language barrier as well. So trying to work through an interpreter and get things set up on home devices is a little bit of a struggle. The one day when we did have to close, there were some students who joined a meeting and worked with me um, doing therapy virtually without any issues, and then other students never were able to join. So um, either they weren't checking their device or weren't sure what to do. So I think it's helping that we're We're having that extra time of in-person services so that we can keep teaching the kids what to do if we do close. However, even with all these challenges and uncertainty, Don did find some things that were working better than before. One of the silver lining things that I noticed was I felt like we had better participation by the parents in our IEP meetings, believe it or not. And having them online, we were able to connect with the parents and get them to participate in the meeting better, and that part seemed to go really well. 
Don isn't the only person that shared this with me. I heard the same thing from Carla McCraw. Carla is an SLP at Brinker Elementary School in Plano, Texas. She says Brinker is split. About 50% of the students have opted for virtual instruction, and the other 50% are in person. And for Carla, this means there are times when she's delivering speech language services with some of her students in the room and with some on a computer. I have rearranged my room. My teacher table used to be across the room by my dry erase board, and then my desk was over in another corner. We have our desks are like an entire wall where my computer and our webcams were hooked up. So I'm like, okay, my webcam's way over here. I usually teach way over there. So I moved my teacher table over to my desk and kind of juxtaposed it in a way that my my chair is kind of between the table and the computer. So I can sit, you know, kind of sideways and address my kids at the table and my kids online without having my back to anybody. So I can, you know, show the materials. If we're doing a book, you know, I'm going to read the book and then show everybody the pictures. Or if it's one that's on YouTube, I can share my screen and then the students can see my computer that are here. You're performing for a camera. I am. Yeah, I feel like I'm putting on a show. Um, <laughs> uh, fortunately, it's not recorded. But, um, but yeah, we just we, we do our best. Um, I know our dyslexia teacher, she has gotten extension cords for her camera and has rigged up something with like two trash cans so that it's at the right height so that she can teach at her table where her other students are. So, I mean, it, it definitely, it takes some creativity, um, but it, it's working and the kids really like seeing their friends that are here at school. And then we do have the partitions. They're plastic, but they're big. They're like dividers that each kid kind of sits in their little cubby, but we have it angled where they can, you know, see themselves on the computer and then the other kids can see them as well. Carla says that all speech students received clear face shields, so she doesn't have to teach articulation through cloth masks. We had them on the first day of in-person learning, so everything was ready to go. The kids don't love them so much. They're kind of a toy, but it definitely helps with the visual prompting and being able to show them, you know, model what that sound is supposed to look like. And all of that, they get a lot of those cues that they would not be able to get with the face masks on. McCross says some kids have been anxious about the face shields. She says they feel like they're not protected. So we've had lots of conversations about the shields aren't to protect you, they're to protect others. They're blocking your (laughs) spit and germs. You know, they're not keeping others. That's why we're all wearing face shields, not just one person. So we've had a lot of conversations about that. A lot of them have done really well. They're very conscientious of using the hand sanitizer. Um, They, for the most part, stay away from each other. Some of the younger grade levels are are having a little bit of a harder time, you know, not hugging and um, wanting, you know, high fives and, you know, getting really close to their friends and trying to whisper in their ear and all that stuff. But the kids, I mean, especially the older ones, have done really well almost, like they're they're nervous, like they don't want to do anything, they don't want to move, a little a little anxious about everything. But they're getting they're getting more comfortable now that I mean this is week five that we've been face to face, so they're they're getting used to it. Prashanti Pindam is an SLP at a school system in Texas. She says the confusion and chaos about how the pandemic is going to affect education have eased this year. Students and families do know that no matter what, every child will have their fair amount of education and learning, and it's going to be fun, and it's still going to happen no matter what. 
that fell apart in March. We were trying to put everything together to make it possible. I think all the schools across the state did their best to come with, with that distance learning piece for everyone. But it took a long time for uh, a lot of families to get laptops, um, Chromebooks, internet connections, have everything set. There were a lot of technological challenges, all of which are running smooth right now because we already had that spring to deal with. Now it's not so much of a shock. It's not so much of like, you know, we already had a good foundation there in spring and walking into September or August for some of the school districts. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll be joined by another SLP from Mississippi. Among other things, we'll talk more about the anxiety and stress that some kids are under and what that might mean for the SLPs working with them. Also, you can read more about Donmerth Johnson, the second voice you heard in this episode. She shared how she prepared for the academic year in the August-September issue of the ASHA Leader magazine. Find that article at leader.pubs.asha.org. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Earn ASHA CEUs and stay current with the ASHA Learning Pass by accessing ASHA's comprehensive catalog of CE courses for one convenient annual fee. Choose from more than 350 courses on topics important to you. Learn more at asha.org slash learning pass. Rachel Powell is a speech-language pathologist at Brookhaven Elementary School in Brookhaven, Mississippi. Rachel works with third and fourth grade students and serves as the school's data coach. In that role, she uses data to plan for intervention and instruction. Rachel says students in her school are in person five days a week. Students are required to wear masks, and they have personal protective shields around their desks. The teachers also have personal protective shields. Rachel says she chooses to wear a mask at all times to maintain best practices, and I asked her if it ever got in the way of speech-language services. Yeah, so we do have clear masks that have been provided by the district, and so if I have a child for articulation specifically, then I'm typically using that clear mask and with my face shield over it with the children using their protective shields. And for language students, they are really having trouble with understanding things sometimes, and we know we're losing some of that uh, visual feedback that we get through lip reading and facial expressions. So even for my children who are not speech sound disordered, they still benefit from either the clear face shield or the clear mask to be able to see my mouth and understand what it is that I'm saying. How is this fall different from how your school and your school district responded in the spring? Well, the fall is very different because we are um, having instruction and we have all of our personal protective equipment and we have all of the online platforms. And so when we went home at spring break and we didn't come back, we did not have the technology. I mean, we're a rural school district. We're 75% free and reduced lunch. So we know our students don't necessarily have access to the technology. We don't have the infrastructure for the Internet access across the city or the county. So, you know, not everyone has that service within their homes or within their community. And in addition, we did not have an online learning platform in which to deliver instruction. 
And so now in the fall, we have the capacity to do that, and we're utilizing that across the district and across the grade levels to be able to instruct students via online and via in-person and via instructional packets. There was so much uncertainty in the spring and even in the summer. Do you still feel that uncertainty? I feel like life is moving on. Yes, things are still uncertain, but now we've learned enough to somewhat protect ourselves and protect our our students and others around us and following the precautions in the CDC guidelines that seems to be effective in managing the spread of COVID-19. So because of that, I feel like we are able to move on in a capacity for which we can teach students in the best way possible for them to learn. The uncertainty is still there, though, as far as we don't know what the fall will bring or the winter. We don't know what flu season is going to bring. We don't know state testing and accountability. So we're still being told that all state testing will apply. My state has a third grade reading test that you have to pass to move from third grade to fourth grade. They're saying we still have to meet all of our federal requirements and all of our state requirements. But will my children be held to the same standard as last year if they've missed essentially six months of instruction? I don't see how that would be fair to the students because it's such a high standard for performance. And what we're seeing as kids are coming back, there has been a loss of skills. They're not coming in with what they would have had had they had that last nine weeks of instruction. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So we're looking at a data coach. So that's part of my role is to look at the school-wide data and evaluate overall instructional strengths and deficits. And so we are seeing a gap or a lag in students that should be further along in their grade level and in their reading levels that they're not there. They missed nine weeks of skills by not being in-person school, not having virtual learning, and only being given paper instructional packets in the, in the last nine weeks of school. That's what my school district was able to offer when we went home. And so those gaps, especially in reading, are very evident, and it's, we're going to have to intervene much more for many more students in order to meet the expectations that the state sets for a student to pass from third grade to fourth grade. Powell says this lag might not show up on caseloads, but it could put demands on SLPs. She says typically, when kids come into third grade, they can read fluently. And now we have kids who cannot fluently read, who have some major gaps in phonics and decoding and spelling and writing. And so the SLP might have to step in and give some of the strategies that we're typically giving to our specific caseload because we know that they have gaps, but now we're seeing the gaps in the general education population as well. And so teachers who are used to teaching a third grade content aren't necessarily used to teaching second grade content because that's not their area of expertise. So it's a great opportunity for an SLP to come in and say, okay, this, this is what your student has as a strength. These are the gaps I see, so this is where you start for your instruction to help close those gaps and get that child caught up to where he or she needs to be to be able to be successful in the grade level standard. Would the, would the goal or the hope be to end this year where this year would typically end and make up that lost time, or is this something that you see passing along from year to year? 
Oh, well, based on the research, we know that if we don't close the gap early, the gap only grows bigger and bigger each year. So I don't think that we will be able to close this gap within a year. Maybe we can with some really good instruction in the next few years. But yes, potentially, if we don't give good reading instruction, which is something that we know is not necessarily being done across the United States. We know there's the reading wars and a lot of research around the science of reading and how we teach reading in schools. So if our teachers aren't giving the most high-quality instruction to the students, then this is going to be a gap that we see throughout their educational career. Powell says she's talked to her colleagues. They see the slump as well. Everybody can talk about the summer slump that children experience when they leave in May and come back in August. And even all of our screeners that we use to identify children at risk for reading deficits or for math, they account for the summer slump. So where a child ends in second grade is actually higher than where they're beginning third grade or where they end third grade is actually higher than when they're beginning in fourth grade. So even though we have some accountability for the summer slump, now we've amplified that by two or three times. And and there's another aspect here that's really hit home with me from the very beginning is the consideration of our social emotional health and well-being. So we don't know the environments that our children or ourselves were in during this time period. We have safety and security when we're in school. And when that was ripped away from all of us in society, then we all started feeling more unstable and less secure. And so that affects our overall mental health and well-being and our overall social emotional skills. So now our children experience that, and we've got to come in and make sure that they feel safe and secure again in school in a time when nobody feels safe and secure. And that primary need really needs to be met prior to them being able to close the gaps and meet the achievement of the academic standards that they're expected to do. I'm happy you brought this up because this is an important part of the conversation. How do you address that? I think that we have to have conversations with children and give them the tools and the words that they need to be able to say, you don't feel okay and it's okay to not do that. I think we have to have some training and some knowledge about mental health and social emotional well-being. I know my state's pushing out some professional development for teachers regarding this, and I'm having conversations with teachers regarding this, and, and they're aware of it, but it's it's a huge part of what we do as educators is to make sure that our children are safe and secure, if nothing else, at least in the school building. And so now we've gotten that added to the plate of teaching that we've got to make sure our students are feeling okay being in school, that they're not anxious or worried about catching COVID within the school environment. And let's establish that first. And once that's established, then let's target our learning and see what we can do to help them grow and achieve. And you mentioned as well, this is something the staff could be experiencing as equally. Absolutely. So I think that we've all sat in the various social media posts and SLP Facebook groups and just the general reaction to COVID-19 that, wow, we lived in this really tight, secure world as educators and SLPs and audiologists in the United States. We've never had our health threatened 
in this way. We've never really had to think about it unless you were in an unusual circumstance. So it really rocked our world as far as our security and, okay, that we're guaranteed every day is going to be like the same before. That's hard. Mm -hmm. It is. It's been challenging. And so that's also part of the challenge, too, is our teachers and myself and SLPs on it, we're working so, so hard. We're working overtime. We're here late at night. We're here over the weekend. We have, because of the demands of the different platforms of learning, learning new instructional platforms such as the online platforms we're using. So now our work hours and our work demand has increased, and we have to be conscientious of taking time for ourselves and our own well-being and our time with our friends and family or whatever it is that makes us feel safe and secure and able to decompress from the school environment. We cannot stay on seven days a week, 24 hours a day, because we will absolutely break down. And I am seeing teachers especially who are getting close to that point because, and I'll have to say on Friday afternoon at 4.30, go home. This can wait until Monday or even Sunday evening. You've got to take time for yourself. Rachel Powell. She's a speech-language pathologist and data coach at Brookhaven Elementary School in Brookhaven, Mississippi. You can find mental health resources at asha.org. There's information that addresses mental health, loss and grief, isolation and loneliness, and more. You can also find phone numbers you can call if you are seeking help. We couldn't cover it all on this episode, but we want to hear from you. What are you experiencing at the start of this academic year? Leave us a voicemail at 301-296-5804 or send us an email at podcast at asha.org. And for resources about resuming services in person or providing virtual speech language services, visit asha.org and navigate to the school resources from the COVID-19 updates banner. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the ASHA Learning Pass. Access more than 900 hours of ASHA CE content for one annual fee. Learn more at asha.org slash learning pass. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.